It is a uh, misstatement and a mischaracterization at best to say that what we are doing here is eliminating all public safety and doing a social experiment. That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is finally, for the first time in the history of this country, we are asking the question about what purpose does law enforcement serve? We begin our program hearing from Seattle City Council President Lorena Gonzalez talking about the concept of defunding the police, a challenging conversation ahead for our city. Welcome listeners to Seattle News, Views and Brews, the coffee break podcast that takes you on a weekly thrill ride through Seattle area politics. So hang on tight. I'm Brian Callanan. I'm a host also on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. Joining me, I guess, in the other roller coaster seat is Kevin Schofield from Seattle City Council Insight. Hello, Kevin. Hey, and I, I remembered my motion sickness medicine this time, so we're okay. <laughs> You're going to need it. Our background noise sponsor, City Grind Espresso from the first floor of City Hall. Not operational during the pandemic, but we thank them for their support. Thanks also to our supporters on Patreon, all seven of you. Really appreciate that. We want to keep this show running with your public support. If you find some value in this podcast, just a few dollars a month is all it takes. We're off and rolling with right here, right now. Heading into the last week of July with a full head of steam for the Seattle City Council. On the agenda this week, putting the Transportation Benefit District on the November ballot. The council had a lot of back and forth about this last week. So the mayor's proposal, just to catch you up here, eliminates the $60 car tab fee part of this. Her hand forced on that because of I-976. It's in the middle of a court battle, but it does ban those fees. So something to keep an eye on there. She also cut the sales tax portion of this from 0.2% to 0.1% basically cutting the revenue in half. She wants to get something passed in the fall. We're in this big economic turmoil situation right now, but she wants to help expand transit service in the future. However, Councilmember Morales recently put together an amendment that would raise the sales tax back up to 0.2%, the maximum allowed here. I know the council originally was very cool to this, Kevin, but I'm wondering if they might reconsider this. If voters pass this in 2020, it's another four years before it would be up for renewal, We might not need the money right now. We might not need the transit right now because we're in the middle of COVID, but in the future, possibly we would. What do you think council members are considering here? Well, I definitely think they're going to look really hard at this. And the issue for them is what is less regressive, right? Mm, And they have two bad choices, right? So, uh, you know, in the the current transformation benefit district, the sales tax is at 0.1%, and that's considered basically one of the most regressive taxes that's that's out there. They're allowed by law. Allowed by law to raise it to 0.2%, but that would be increasing a very regressive tax. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other, the downside of that is because they've lost the ability, at least for the moment, to have car taps on top yeah. of that, which was you know raised another you know a good chunk of money on top yeah. of this. Um, that cuts to transit. Cuts to yeah. transit are super super aggressive. So yeah. which and the you know default thinking that at the front was more aggressive sales tax, particularly in the middle of a, you know, a recession, a pandemic and all this, yeah. seems like a really bad thing to do. But now, you know, the conversation has kind of gone a little deeper and yeah. there are a lot of folks really thinking about, you know, big cuts to, tran- to transit could be, you know, more devastating. So they've been really out yeah. over the last week and a half having conversations with the community, trying to figure out, you know, which is the lesser of two evils. Right, for sure. And I know the council's also working on a resolution here saying they're going to work with the King County Council to pass a larger regional transit measure in the future, one with more progressive revenue options. So we'll keep an eye on that. But I want to get to this idea of rebalancing the 2020 budget and the looming battle over the police budget, especially. Kevin, looking at the non-police parts of the mayor's proposal to start with, two interesting dynamics at work here. 
So the council passed its new payroll tax. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. 200 plus million it's supposed to bring in per year going towards new spending. So not really available to combat what the mayor wants to cut here. Secondly, the mayor presented this very high level plan, making it a lot more difficult for the council to pinpoint where exactly cuts would even be happening. So let's try to break this down, what the council is trying to do here with this rebalancing package from the mayor. Yeah, it's very complicated. So, you know, what the mayor handed over, normally when, when they do a budget, like they do every fall, yeah. the mayor- And they're going sends, to be doing that in September. And they're going to be doing yeah, that in 2021, yeah. and they're way behind. So yeah. the city is actually way behind in trying to get that ready. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what we'll see in the fall for 2021 budget is the mayor sends over a comprehensive, here's what we're going to spend on every single line item. Yeah. And she didn't do that for this. What she did right. for this this 2020 rebalancing was she sent over changes. Now, you know, every quarter the city does that with the council where they send over what they call a supplemental budget ordinance, yes. which is kind of here's the changes. And they kind of did that in spades this time for yeah. for for this. But, you know, what, what happened in trying to, you know, deal with the extra COVID expenses and the big, you know, $290 million miss in revenues yeah. is, is say, on the mayor's side said, well, you know, there are some changes we want to make that actually require, you know, legislative approval by the council. Mm-hmm. And there's other things like, hey, we'll put in a hiring freeze and we're going to save a whole bunch of payroll money. Right. right? That actually doesn't require the council's approval. Right. But the council could say, hey, well, if you're going to be saving money in all those different mm-hmm. places, we could have a say in where we, we, we want the hiring freeze sure. to be and where we don't want. Yes, and take right. money back and put you know put that payroll money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But the mayor didn't send over all that detail on all the yeah. payroll set. So the city council say, we want to make more decisions here. We want, yeah. we want more say as to where these savings are. And you haven't given us any of the information on where to do that. So, yeah. so the council staff is now kind of scrambling to put together a list of, okay, here is exactly everywhere where the mayor on, yep. her, you know, on her side administratively said, we're going to save a bunch of money in these different places. Right, prices. right. Got it. We'll see what happens there. But I do want to get to this really big battle uh, brewing here, Kevin, over police funding. We touched on this last week. The council looking at a ton of numbers here. One big one they've been pointing to, studies show 56% of the 911 calls the SPD responds to are non-criminal, jaywalking, loitering, things of this nature. So the council wants a different set of first responders to work on those issues. Police go to criminal calls. Sounds like a very efficient idea in a lot of ways, though building that new network of responders, training, et cetera, that's a big, challenging transition. Not going to happen overnight, not going to be cheap. But beyond that, this basic concept of defunding the police by 50%, as the council has shown support for, it's difficult to see how that would be achieved without laying off hundreds of officers. So, Kevin, I just want to get your input here. Where do you see the dust settling on this for the council? Is there still as much fire to defund the police by 50%? How long will we keep hearing that number, which which feels a little arbitrary to me? And it is a little arbitrary. And some of the city council members have walked that down, back a little bit. Councilmember Lewis, Councilmember Gonzalez, sort of, while at the same time, uh, council members Juarez and Peterson, kind of from the beginning of the two, have said, hey, 50, 50% is a random number. Let's, let's, you know, let's not be arbitrary about this. Let's have a plan. And then we're backwards from that. But it's also important to realize that kind of there's two conversations happening simultaneously here. Mm-hmm. One is what do we do in the 2021 budget and beyond? And they got some time to figure that out. And the other is what do we do right now for the rest of 2020? Right, and right. the 2021 is, is the one that 
this coming Wednesday, the city council is going to start going through proposed yep. amendments for yep. the 2020 SPD budget. Mm -hmm. And that's really when, when it's going to hit the fan on yeah. this as they, as they, as they try to figure out what are we really in practical terms going to mm -hmm. do this year? And, and yeah. it's going to be very, very tough, right? Because yeah. as you mentioned, uh, you know, most of the SPD budget is payroll expenses yeah. right now. And right. the year's half over already, yeah. more, right. than, more than half over now. So, yeah. you know, what they can still cut in terms of spending is limited. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to they have to cut people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and looking at that, I know we, there was that big list from King County Equity Now, Decriminalize Seattle, talking about freezing new hiring, eliminating funding for recruitment and retention. Dozens of suggestions there. But as we mentioned last week, really getting into the weeds there and figuring out, okay, what exactly are we going to quote unquote cut or divest or move into another department or, or whatever else. So much is involved with that state law, federal law. You've got some labor agreements too. Making these big decisions on what should actually be cut, that's going to be very difficult for the council to do. It will. And if they do something short term yeah. and then realize as they get their 2021 plans together, ah, uh, that wasn't exactly going to work. Yeah. Then suddenly they have to try to unwind some of these things. And, yeah. you know, and there've already been reports this past week that mm -hmm. the number of job applications from Seattle police department officers being submitted to Bellevue and sure. You know, other transferring you know, out. Yeah. You know, uh, the Washington state patrol, you know, the Seattle Police Department officers are already saying, hey, like, I don't necessarily want to stick around. And that's how yeah. I feel supported. That's difficult. And, and wow. It, 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 it's really challenging. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it, it's a, and it's a remarkable turnaround from back in, you know, February where sure. Lisa Herbold was, you know, speaking at the announcement of a big new hiring initiative that's right. for SPD. Mm -hmm. and, and the city council members were scrambling over each other. To, to say we want more to police. Say, yes. To say we support the police, we support the police. And now right. it's just completely flipped. Yeah, I, I saw that too. I remember uh, not so long ago, uh, Councilmember Herbold, Council President Gonzalez, Teresa Mosqueda, they all voted for police officer hiring bonuses last year. And we heard on the campaign trail, Andrew Lewis, Dan Strauss saying we need a larger uh, police force to see that transition here. It's 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 interesting to watch. And I just, again, trying to focus on exactly what the council is going to do here. This is going to be a very, very interesting conversation this week. Uh, this week. And then there's a longer term conversation. Of course. It really course. is, too, that at some level we're happening that are happening simultaneously. That makes it a very confusing conversation. It does indeed. All right. We're going to move on to our next segment here. Now hear this. Okay, this is the part of the show where we listen into a soundbite or two from our local elected leaders. Here's Councilmember Teresa Mosqueda from the council meeting last week, putting the pressure on the mayor to get behind the effort of Jumpstart Seattle, which would continue to offer COVID relief funds to Seattle residents, among other things. Here's what Councilmember Mosqueda said. The critical effort for us all is to make sure that the mayor allocates the COVID relief dollars as specified in this law after today's vote, because any delay would mean the consequences for our city's health and recovery would be dire. It would be a dereliction of duties not to get this out. And by definition, dereliction of duties means a shameful failure to fulfill one's obligation. And Kevin, I'm bringing this up because the council just passed a spending plan for the payroll tax of Jumpstart Seattle last week, which is important. The feds can't seem to agree on how to extend unemployment benefits right now as of the recording of this show. So a lot at play here. But I'm seeing this recurring issue. Here is yet another piece of legislation the mayor returned without her signature. Council President Gonzalez said herself in the meeting there, we can't force the executive to spend these dollars. 
Having this spending plan is great, but will the mayor execute it? It's going to be interesting to see whether what, what the mayor does with this. And yeah. one of the issues that she's raised is it's not clear that uh, the payroll tax is going to stand up to legal challenges. Yeah. And, def- you know, and there, there are going to be some legal challenges to it. Mm-hmm. I, it's not clear whether it's actually going to see a referendum or not. Right. It, it particularly sort of the, the highest tier part of the payroll tax that basically targets with higher rates one company, Amazon. Yeah. Is, it looks punitive. And, and that's going to be a big legal risk for this thing. So mm-hmm. whereas, you know, this council has passed a spending plan and says we're going to borrow $86 million from the city's reserve funds, yeah. spend that this year. Yes. And then right. we're going to replenish that with payroll tax revenues once those start coming in at the end of 2021. Yeah. Um, you know, the mayor is saying, hey, you know, if this payroll tax gets kicked out by the courts, right, mm-hmm. there isn't going to be the money to replenish those, those uh, reserve funds. Yeah. And so, you know, what will she do? Uh, she's certainly going to be under enormous pressure to actually spend that money for all the folks here in Seattle who need the help. And there are right. a lot of small businesses. There are a lot of individuals. There's, there's rent assistance in there. Sure. There, there's, there's tons of good that will come out of spending this money. But, you know, she is rightly raising the issue about, well, you know, we are de- largely depleting our reserve funds by doing this. At, you know, at the same time, yeah. it is, you know, there are four simultaneous civil emergencies going on in the city yeah. right now, right? <laughs> you know, this is the time to be spending the emergency fund. Yeah, right. right. No, if um, not now, then when? Right. Yeah. She, she rightly raises the issue as well that, hey, you know, this isn't going to end at the, in December 2020, right? right? This right. is going to go on to the next year. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, they're predicting that the, the revenue shortfall is going to be as bad next year, if not worse. Right. Huge. So the mayor wants to be cautious in terms of making sure that we still have some of those reserve funds next yeah. year. Yeah. We don't just sort of deplete them all immediately. And, and politically cautious too, I think, Kevin, because just kind of reading the winds here in hearing Councilmember Mosqueda say it would be a dereliction of duty to not fulfill this on the mayor's part here. I'm just trying to figure out how this works politically for the mayor, who, as of the recording of this program, still potentially faces a recall vote here. She has a very difficult path to chart here in terms of responding to jumpstart Seattle. Well, I mean, for the mayor, there's no easy decisions on any of this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> hasn't um, been for, ever since she and, took office. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, the, they seem to be piling up in the moment, whether it's mm-hmm. you know, how to fix the West Seattle Bridge yeah, or right. how to deal with protests on Capitol Hill, how to deal with the feds, how to yeah. deal with the recession and, mm-hmm. and you know, budget crisis. Yep. Um, you know, the, 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 the impossible decisions seem to be piling up at the moment. Um, and, but, you know, th- this, this is a really difficult one. And, and the council is right that they can't force mayor to spend money in most cases. They mm-hmm. can pass what they call provisos yes. on the budget, which says you don't get to spend this money that you really want to spend until you do this other thing that we want you to do. Right, right. Well, we'll see what happens with that one. I want to move on to another piece here involving the city council, specifically with the council's ban on crowd control weapons, tear gas, etc. It is staying in place, in effect, as of July 26th. That's according to Judge James Robart overseeing the federal consent decree the city is under regarding how police officers use force. So the judge basically saying we're going to keep this ban in place, but he wants the city, the Office of Professional Accountability, the inspector general, even the community police commission to submit reports about how this ban interacts with the consent decree process by mid to late August. Kevin, I thought this was interesting. I know the council is getting a lot of heat over this, but the judge pointed out Police Chief Carmen Best put a ban on tear gas in place without notifying the court. So there's a lot, there's a few things to sort out here. Oh yeah, this is this is a complicated one. And you know, if we go back to the beginning of June, um, the mayor and the city council asked 
the Office of Professional uh, Police Accountability yes. and the Inspector General and CPC to go off and come back with some recommendations. And do that work, yeah. Tools. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, a week later, the, the, those three organizations said, we need more time. Can we have it at the end of the month? Yeah. And the council said, we're not going to wait. We're going to pass a crowd control ban, a crowd control weapon ban right now. So they didn't even, so the city council wasn't even listening to these organizations and, and waiting for, for their response. Um, and then, um, and, and they, the city council actually kind of knew that what they were doing was a violation of the, of the consent decree because mm-hmm. the consent decree requires changes to the crowd control policy and the um, use of force policy mm-hmm. to be reviewed by the Department of Justice, right. and the police monitor, and then eventually approved by the court. And they just kind of skipped all that and, went <laughs> and said, "We're gonna, we're gonna basically ballot a public question. We're gonna pass this ban right yeah. now." Right. And the mayor didn't sign that either, saying, "Yep, you know, hey, look, ah, this is this is not following the process." Now yeah. the judge is right that you know Conrad Bass did in fact you know put a thirty day suspension on the use of of, of tear gas, right, which is you know not. You know, it's not in the league of what the city council did in different, terms of yeah, terms permanent of bans yeah. and, mm-hmm. and in terms of the different kinds of weapons. With the with the ban from the city council, you can really say, you know, what what's left for yeah. the police to use. Mm-hmm. And these and these aren't, you know, it, it, it's you could look at this from the perspective of you know what, what police officers do in terms of sort of de-escalation from from you know quiet peaceful times and mm-hmm. are they doing things that are actually escalating crowds to to more violent positions right but these the crowd control weapons policy was put in place and that specifically called out a bunch of these weapons to really do the opposite to say let's make sure that there are legitimate options in place that are a step down from lethal weapons yeah right right, right. these are these are less lethal weapons so they right. can, people can still be killed with them people can yeah. still be hurt very badly with them but they're but they're intended to do things like create some distance right, right. and disperse crowds that yeah. create an opportunity for for uh, de-escalating uh, right. violent, violent situations. Yeah, now, so officers you, are not using a gun and things of that nature. Yeah, and and there's there's you know there are some arguments that they are not in fact effective in doing that, and that's yeah. why it's important for the OPA yeah, and the Inspector reports. General and CPC yeah. to go do these reports. Now, what the judge came back and said was, um, you know, but effectively what the city had asked him to do was was uh, put an injunction in place to stop. You know this new law from going in place, and and it and is now you know as of uh, you know this this past weekend, it's now gone into effect. Yeah, right? July twenty sixth, which, which which puts the police in a really interesting position because now they have to choose between yeah um, following the consent decree yeah or following this law because they're yeah. in conflict. Right, yeah. there's a consent, there's a you know court approved use of force and crowd control policy, mm-hmm. and there's this law, and they say different things. Yeah, and and so the the judge said. I'm going to leave the ordinance in place, right? So I, I guess effectively that means the police have to follow it. But I do want to hear from the Office of Police Accountability, Inspector mm-hmm. General, and CPC. So um, send in, and they're still working on their report. So yeah. um, please, you know, told the city you have to submit their report by August 15th, and then yeah. you got a week to, you know, write your own response to what that says. Mm-hmm. So by August 22nd, he's going to have a whole set of paperwork from the city, from these, you know, accountability organizations, from the DOJ, and he's going to look at all that. And, you know, and he said in his order last week, I, I know these things are in conflict, and eventually I'm going to have to decide. Right. So right. get me all this stuff, yeah. and then I'll make a decision. 
Well, let's talk about another development in the world of crowd control, if you will. The Trump administration threatening to send federal officers to cities, including Seattle. Those officers already at the center of rioting happening in Portland, for example. We've all seen that. Mayor Dirk and the council pushing back on this. And this could get really ugly. I point this out because the president of the police guild, Mike Solon, recently made some comments on the radio to the effect that what's going on in Portland has been a success, even said it may be time for federal troops to come here. I talked with Council President Gonzalez about this. She and Councilmember Herbold have actually sent a letter to Mike Solon to affirm, confirm, have you actually invited federal officers here? This is something that could get very violent, Kevin. I'm concerned about it. I know that the council is too. I'm wondering what happens next here. I think we're all concerned about it. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's going to be a day-by-day thing. Yeah. President Trump has made clear that, you know, he's campaigning on a law and order. Cracking heads. Uh, yep. Campaign. And and he thinks that this is going to, uh, you know, buy him votes. And yeah. I'm not at all sure. It's certainly not. But, you know, he may have written off Seattle, right? Yeah. Maybe, you know. And, and Portland, for that matter. So it may be that, uh, you know, doing something like this in Seattle and Portland buys them votes somewhere else. It's, yeah. certainly, it's certainly not going to buy him votes here, but, you know, he wasn't going to win here anyway. Right, right. Just seeing all those politics behind this. I know uh, in Chicago, other areas, there's some concern that, hey, what are you doing to my city to try to get your votes? This is, uh, this is something that I know is going to play out over the next several weeks. So we'll keep an eye on what's happening around the federal buildings here in Seattle and in the Northwest as this story continues. I want to move on to what's next. All right. A lot of things to cover here. Release the Kraken. Our city has a new name for its NHL franchise. We'll see how that goes. Very interesting stuff there. The city moving forward with an outdoor dining permit program, blocking off streets for restaurants. If it's cool with the neighbors, that could happen. We'll see how the permits start coming in at the end of July. And then the West Seattle Bridge. Ah, I live in West Seattle, and this one's a big one for me, Kevin. A lot of work going on here. A big headline here, for me at least, a decision about repair or replace was supposed to happen late summer. Now it's looking like October, a full cost-benefit analysis has to be done, and that's taking up some time. Kevin, I just wanted to ask, are you free next weekend? Do you like pouring concrete? I really want to fix this bridge. I know it's not that simple. Yeah, but I mean, the good news is they're making progress. And so far, they've got a lot of good news as they've done yeah. their, their structural analysis. They found out that it really seems like thing, the, the thing can be repaired mm-hmm. and, and that there are more options for repairing it than they originally thought. Right. So if they can look, they've got like 10 different criteria they're looking at, for, you know, and, and the, you know, the dollar cost is certainly part of that, but also looking at how does it play with other mobility plans, yeah. which is getting light rail to West Seattle, mm-hmm. what are the equity issues involved with this, what are the capacity issues, how long would it take to do it? So they're looking at all those different set of issues around mm-hmm. this. Um, you know, the, uh, some of the, you know, initial thinking around repairers said if they did a, a repair versus replacement, it would get maybe 10 years out of it. Now they're thinking at least 15 years, okay. which makes kind of the, 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 the repair option versus yeah. replace look more attractive. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, they've got six different options they're looking at in terms of repair or replace. And it could be, you know, a partial replacement and not an entire replacement. They could just replace, you know, the, 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 the real crack segments in the middle and not try sure. to replace a broader set of the bridge. So really a bunch of, you know, I thought a bunch of really good thoughtful options that they're looking at, but it is going to take them till October to go through that whole set. But in the meantime, yeah. they are going to be working on the first thing they have to do in, in, in any of those uh, scenarios, which is shore up the bridge. So you're right. going to see, you know, if you've, um, if you've ever installed a, um, a bookshelf on your wall, 
right? Uh, yeah. And you, know, you get those, uh, you get those triangular shaped uh, uh, the supports uh, that yes, you have indeed. to nail into the wall, right? Yep, yep. You're going to see a couple of those underneath the main span, right? They're okay. going to build steel kind of triangular shaped supports to shore the thing up go. underneath. Mm-hmm. Brackets, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, you're going to see a couple of those on the bridge, um, maybe even as soon as the fall as you start building that up. Okay. All right. Well, a lot still ahead with that one. Uh, a personal note as we wrap up the show here, it turns out we're, we're, we're both human beings here, folks, doing this program. And, and Kevin, you had some concerns a few days ago. You might be dealing with COVID. You got tested. Sounds like the test was negative. I am very thankful for that. How Me are too. you feeling? What's going on? I'm feeling good. So, you know, um, you know, earlier in the week, uh, you know, it, well, first of all, it's, a, it's really interesting at this point. We shall be aware that you know, as we've learned more about COVID, mm-hmm. the list of potential symptoms has grown a lot, right? Yeah. So there's, you know, some things we've known all along, fever, uh, sore throat, cough, things like that. But it's really expanded to things like fatigue, mm-hmm. and muscle aches, and headaches. Yeah. So w- it, this has been super stressful for everybody. Yeah. Earlier this week, I've been dealing with, you know, like everybody else, you know, insomnia. And feeling a little run down. Yeah. Feeling run down. And then I, you know, woke up that week and I stirred feeling uh, really just congested. It's like, okay, yeah. this is now sort of hit this threshold for me. It's like, I really have to worry about maybe this is, this, yeah. this is uh, COVID. Right. So I called my medical practitioner, got it, got in for a test. Cool. Um, you know, fortunately got the results back in less than 24 hours. That's pretty awesome. Un, pretty unusual these days because there is this na- nationwide shortage of reagent, mm-hmm. um, which is, and in a lot of places, the test results are taking, you know, five to seven to yes. 10 days to come back. Yeah. So the fact yeah. that, you know, you get it back in 24 hours in some places here, which is still really, really great. And got it back and it was negative. But, you know, I was trying to really do the responsible thing for a community. If, mm-hmm. you know, and this is something that we all need to pay attention to. Sure. If you feel like you're showing a bunch of those symptoms, um, don't wait. Yeah. Go get tested. There are free testing sites in Seattle. And there are free yes. testing sites in Seattle and King County, mm-hmm. right? There's several of them now. Get tested then go home and quarantine yourself until you get the results back. Yeah. Even if yeah. it's a couple of days, right? Yeah. This is why you put all that meat in the freezer, you know, back, yeah. back right. in the spring, right? That's right. So that you had stuff ready if you needed it to quarantine for a while. Well, it still may be the case, but this is really, really important. Yeah. Get tested and then you self-quarantine until you get the test results back. Got I was it. super happy and relieved to find out that, you know, I tested negative. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of a weird experience because suddenly it's like for the first time since the beginning of this whole thing, mm-hmm. there was a day where I actually knew I didn't have COVID. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a good way to look at it. In terms of what Kevin was doing during his period of self-quarantine, folks, I know he was baking more than a little bit. Uh, we try to r- wrap up our Coffee Break podcast here with Kevin's expertise on all things baking. We have sampled small bakeries all around Seattle, women, black-owned bakeries. Make sure you keep doing that, folks. And get something going in your oven, too. Kevin, tell me what you have uh, that, w- that came out of the oven here. I made vanilla wafers. Awesome. This, I know we talked about the Brave Tart cookbook here. You actually, you, you have this recipe. It's the vanilla wafer you'd find on the shelf at the grocery store, but this is so much better. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I can't leave any recipe alone, so I take them. So, uh, you know, I tried substituting margarine for butter. Interesting. I, I added, um, it, it uses a lot of uh, vanilla extract, mm. but I actually added some, some uh, I've got some vanilla beans. So here's, a, here's a hot tip. Okay. Um, Costco sells vanilla beans. Okay. Cheaper than you'll find them anywhere else. They sell them in these long plastic test tubes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've and, seen those. And, 
It's way cheaper than a real estate grate. The shelf life is long for these things. Huh. Uh, it's a seasonal thing. So usually you can just get them kind of in the fall and early mm-hmm. winter, but if you see them there, grab them. Okay. And then you can, you know, so I'd like, you know, cut them open, you scrape out all the great little vanilla seeds, uh, you know, inside. Yeah. And use it. And, you know, I mix that in. And so the vanilla just pops really well. It's that's, that's all. And I have a, I guess maybe a similar cookie in some way, a, a treat that I will put in front of the screen. This, um, my daughter mm. is calling this a brookie, if you will, a brownie, crisp if 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 you want to call it that half cookie half brownie 100 percent awesome having a cookie that crunches i just wanted to ask you this it still has a little bit of moistness in the middle how do you do that what what's your secret on on getting that while i take a chew here kevin oh, yeah. i'm not sure there's one secret for this mm. I, I you know it, it depends on the ingredients in the recipe right what's okay. going to really what's going to really dry it out right mm. and what and what temperature you cook it at so is it going to um harden on the outside first mm-hmm. Yep. Which then keeps sort of the moisture on the inside. Got to know your oven. Yep. Yeah. So it, 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 it's all those different things. Man. Whew. I thank you for your wisdom, sir, on all matters, civic and culinary, as I try to <laughs> choke this thing down here. Kevin, I'm very glad you are feeling better. And thank you so much for working with me on this. Thanks, Brian. All right. So next time you want to know what's going on in local politics, give us a listen here on Seattle News Views and Brews. Find out what's brewing. Reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify. Please support us on Patreon if you like what you're hearing. And as always, thanks for listening. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2020.